Hello, and welcome to another episode of Bright Future, uh, where today uh, we do, of course, have some rules whenever we do this podcast. Uh, I don't recommend this podcast for the faint of heart or those easily triggered, uh, nor do I recommend this podcast for those who are uh, mentally unwell. Uh, We aren't allowed to insult each other or any group of people or individuals, uh, but instead just need to respectfully attack the opponent's argument. Today I actually set up more of a a structure for these podcasts, where I was going to start each podcast with a little bit of, well, I'm just first going to go over the uh, main topics of this episode today. I was planning on doing FEMA and a bill that passed House earlier this week, H.R. 1808. But before I get into those, um, well, actually, no, before I get into those, what I was going to do is I was going to look over um, things that the White House has posted on their website um, about our current political state and everything, and just address one of them just real quickly. Uh, But there isn't actually anything like that really this week. So I think I'm just going to jump straight into our topics uh, with both feet. So, FEMA. The Federal Emergency Management Agency, I believe. Is that what it stands for? I'd better be right on this. FEMA. Federal Emergency Management Agency, yep. And they've got a website uh, and everything. And if you ask, what does it do? Well, FEMA is supposed to be our federal government's disaster relief branch. Where it gets in there after hurricanes, tornadoes, um, floods, things like that, to go and help out. But in order for them to do that, the governor of the state first needs to declare a state of emergency and give them permission to do so. FEMA has been famous for, well, I say famous, more infamous, for mismanaging all of these disasters all of the time. But the reason why I decided to add this as a topic for this podcast is today, or today is August 8th, 2022, but on July 29th, Friday three days ago, we received this letter on whitehouse.gov. President Joseph R. Biden Jr. approves Kentucky disaster declaration. Today, July 29th, 2022, President Joseph Biden declared that a major disaster exists in the Commonwealth of Kentucky and ordered federal aid, in the form of FEMA, to supplement the Commonwealth and local recovery efforts in the area affected by severe storms, flooding, landslides, and mudslides beginning on July 26, 2022, and continuing. Federal funding is available to the Commonwealth and eligible local governments and certain private non-profit organizations on a cost-sharing basis for emergency protective measures in several counties. Federal funding is also available on a cost-sharing basis for hazard mitigation measures for the entire Commonwealth. And it's the FEMA that's doing all of this for you, which became a branch of the Department of the Homeland Security. And this is what brought FEMA to my attention for uh, this week's episode, was Kentucky is experiencing severe floods, as you might have heard on the news recently, but Kentucky's not the only state doing this. Uh, If you haven't, just a quick Google search will show you 
Las Vegas, Nevada, has been flooding as they're entering a moonsoon season. And apparently, the Kentucky disaster and the Las Vegas flooding is somewhat comparable. So why are they getting FEMA for Kentucky, but not for Las Vegas? Now, I suppose the governor of Nevada would have to declare an emergency first. Um, so I'm just going to quick Google search the governor of Nevada declared a state of emergency. No information about that. Um, that's strange. I don't know what's going on with that then, because Las Vegas flooding. Moonsun rains flood streets and casinos in Las Vegas. That's from NBC, KSNV. New York Times, Business Insider. <laughs> Washington Post straight up says, Las Vegas flooding sends water gushing through casinos. So, effectively, Las Vegas is flooding. And I've seen a couple of um, regular videos made from various civilians of just water rushing through the streets and all of this. And this is from days ago. There are There is no live update, unfortunately, which is really annoying, but why why allow FEMA into uh, why allow FEMA into Kentucky but not Nevada if Las Vegas is having this problem? I suppose it's over a greater area in Kentucky and it's possible that the governor of Nevada hasn't declared a state of emergency yet but should a state need to ask for help in order to get help from a federal level. It makes sense, right? Because we don't want federal overreach. But... Well, if people are getting hurt and possibly even dying from these floods, where's the middle ground here? And also, I guarantee you, when it comes to Kentucky, FEMA's going to massively mess it up. Because they've done it before. They've messed up a lot. Like, for example, I did research on Hurricane Maria from September 2017, when it hit Puerto Rico. Does Puerto Rico even have a governor? Oh, it does. Okay. And I suppose the governor would be able to declare a state of emergency, which is how FEMA is even there. But Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico something like three days after another hurricane. So FEMA's stockpile there was already diminished. So it's kind of understandable why FEMA messed up, but that's not really an excuse, is it? It was a Category 5 hurricane, the worst disaster in recorded history, to strike the Caribbean. 
Hurricane Irma had struck just two weeks prior, so almost all of the supply stockpiled for the disaster relief, 83%, were already used. Puerto Rico requires about 2,700 megawatts of power and had 376 megawatts available after the hurricane, 14%, which makes this the worst blackout in history. $90 billion in damage, less than half of the population had water, 5% had phone service, and those percentages persisted for the weeks for several weeks following the hurricane actually striking the island. 7% of roads were open, so the only way to deliver supplies was by helicopters, because FEMA's fleet of cars consists of modified RVs and mobile homes. Wait, why? FEMA is a government agency that's supposed to respond to disasters. And most disasters are going to mean that roads are going to be out or destroyed or hard to pass. So why would your fleet of vehicles consist of things that are only designed to go on well-maintained roads and not consist of things that are designed to go around or over obstacles? like, say, jeeps and other all-terrain vehicles. Who designed that? <laughs> On top of that, in the Puerto Rico disaster, citizens had to fill out paperwork in order to get assistance, except that the, all of that paperwork was in English. And this is in Puerto Rico, where most people there don't speak or write English, they speak and write Spanish, and no interpreters or translators were available. In all, Hurricane Maria had a total of nearly 3,000 casualties, 64 of which were from the hurricane. The other 2,950-ish was from after, from the mismanagement. Yeah, the leader of FEMA that was around during that hurricane is no longer the leader of FEMA. So hopefully the new current deputy director of FEMA is actually going to do better, and this Kentucky disaster declaration will definitely be their trial by fire, I suppose. Who's doing it? Deanne Criswell, the administrator of the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Named Brett Howard as the federal coordinating officer for federal recovery operations in affected areas. Okay. Good luck to you guys. You... That's a low bar to cross, though, to be fair. And please, for the love of God, make sure you have the proper equipment to do the job that you're supposed to do. After all, you're using our taxpayer dollars to do this. Anyway. On to the second topic. H.R. 1808, or also known as the Assault Weapons Ban of 2022. This is a bill that managed to pass House on July 29th, 2022. At which point, Biden sent out a statement on the website. When I signed the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, the first significant piece of gun safety legislation in nearly 30 years, 
I said that there was still work to be done to keep our communities safe and keep dangerous firearms out of dangerous hands. When guns are the number one killer of children in America, and when more children die from guns than active duty police and active duty military combined, we have to act. Today, House Democrats, House Democrats acted by unifying to pass an assault weapons ban to keep weapons of war off of our streets, save lives in this country, and reduce crime in our communities. The majority of the American people agree with this common sense action. The Senate should move quickly to get this bill to my desk, and I will not stop fighting until it does. There can be no greater responsibility than to do all that we can to ensure the safety of our families, our children, our homes, our communities, and our nation. First, I'm going to talk about the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, which was signed into law earlier this year. The first significant piece of gun safety legislation in nearly 30 years. Biden, did you read the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act before you signed it into law? Because the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act is 376, sorry, 176 pages long. And of all of that, most of it doesn't talk about guns. The only thing that the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act does in regards to guns is redefine what a federally licensed dealer is. And to be fair, that made sense. There were some people who were able to abuse the... Uh, the current or the previous definition of there were some people who were able to abuse the previous def I completely lost my train of thought. There were some people who were able to abuse the previous definition of uh, a federally licensed arms dealer to sell firearms illegally without properly knowing things. And one of the things that the Bipartisan Safer Community Act did was redefine it to close that gap. But that wasn't a big part of it. That was like three sentences out of a 176-page bill. To be clear, I didn't bother reading the rest of the thing because the rest of it is just giving fun funding to local communities around the world for various things that don't really seem to have to do anything with making communities that much safer. I mean, there's mental health support for young children, and it's supposed to improve counselors and such in school. So I suppose it, if it could indirectly improve the safety of it, and that, that's a good way to do it. But it's not a gun legislation, so what the heck is this statement supposed to say? Now, you say that the majority of the American people agree with this common sense action. Most of the people around my work that I've asked don't even know what H.R. 1808 means, much less what it accomplishes. Also, I don't think it has anything to do with common sense, because it doesn't make sense. Now, H.R. 1808, as a bill goes, is actually pretty short. It's just two or three pages which is perfect. I can actually go and talk about it more. So let's talk about its current wording and everything. 
1808 in the House of Representatives, and it's got a massive list of names of people who are sponsoring it and who are part of the House of Representatives and who introduced the bill and such. I'm going to skip that bit because it's not particularly important. Well, it is important, but it's just their names. Let's actually get to the bill. Section 1, short title, this act may be cited as the Assault Weapons Ban of 2022. So we can call it H.R. 18, or we can call it that, the same difference. And then Section 2, definitions, and it defines various things, which we'll get to the definitions a little bit. For now, I'm going to skip definitions. And I'm going to scroll straight down to section three, which is the which is the shortest section of this bill. No, wait. Well, I say it's shortest. It's it's not. It's definitely the longest part. But I'll I'll, I'll try to explain it in shorter terms. Section three is restrictions on assault weapons and large capacity ammunition feeding devices. In general, Section 922 of Title 18 United States Code is amended by inserting the following after subsection U. It shall be unlawful for a person to import, sell, manufacture, transfer, or possess, in or affecting interstate or foreign commerce, a semi-automatic assault weapon. Okay, so what you want this bill to do is to ban semi-automatic assault weapons which you defined in section two, and I'll go back to that definition in a little bit. But that's just part A of this section, A1 even. Then the bill continues. Paragraph one shall not apply to the possession, sale, or transfer of any semi-automatic assault weapon otherwise legally, otherwise lawfully possessed under federal law on date of the enactment of the assault weapons ban of 2022. So if I own something that would be banned by this gun, and I own it by, by, would be banned by this bill, and I own it before this bill get, becomes law, I can still legally own it. But I can't sell it or give it to someone else. So the first thing that this bill manages to accomplish is those who already own firearms can't get rid of them. Which feels like it's the exact opposite of what Biden wants to do. I mean, why? Why would you do this? Is that what that says? That's really what that section said, didn't it? Am I misinterpreting this? I might be misinterpreting this, but from my interpretation, that's what this means. Paragraph 1 shall also not apply to any firearm that is manually operated by bolt, pump, lever, or slide action, except for a shotgun described in the definition earlier, or has been rendered permanently inoperable, or is an antique firearm, or is only capable of firing rimfire ammunition. That one line renders this whole bill useless. And I'll explain in a bit. Let's continue for now, though. Paragraph 1, the initial actual ban, shall not apply to the importation for, manufacture for, sale to, transfer to, or possession by 
the United States or a department agency or agency of the United States or a department agency or political subdivision of a state. Basically, the government can still buy these firearms that would otherwise be banned by this bill. So this bill just applies to the citizens, not the government. That feels weird, but okay, we'll continue. It also shall not apply to the importation for sale or transfer to a licensee under Title I of the Atomic Energy Act of 1954. For purposes of establishing and maintaining on-site physical protection system and security organization required by federal law. So, this law doesn't apply to anyone who works for a security company at a nuclear, at a nuclear site. It also does not apply to the possession uh, by an individual who is retired in good standing from service with a law enforcement agency and is not otherwise prohibited from receiving a firearm. So it doesn't apply to veterans or retired police officers or people like that. It does not apply to the importation, sale, manufacture, transfer, or possession of a semi-automatic assault weapon by a licensed manufacturer or licensed importer for the purposes of testing or experimentation authorized by the Attorney General. So is if you get the government's permission to own these firearms for experimentation or testing, that's legal too. It also doesn't apply to a massive list of firearms that are included at the end of this, which is stated here. The importation, sale, manufacture, transfer, or possession of a firearm specified in Appendix A to this section. As such, firearm was manufactured on the date of introduction of the assault weapons ban of 2022. There are a bunch more, like campus law enforcement officers, um, those who are authorized by federal or state or local arm to carry a firearm or execute search warrants or make arrests. It also states that it's illegal for a person to import, sell, manufacture, transfer, or possess a large-capacity ammunition feeding device. You can also find this. I should have completely mentioned. You can find this bill at congress.gov slash bill slash 117th congress slash house bill slash 1808 slash text. Or you can just Google it. I'm pretty sure it's the first thing that comes up since no one's talking about this yet. No major... Uh, news or anything like that except for biden but that you have to go digging for that so it starts off by saying that it's illegal to own a semi-automatic assault weapon and then applies all of these different exceptions to it and the one exception that i think renders this whole law completely useless is Paragraph 1 shall not apply to any firearm that is only capable of firing rimfire ammunition. Let me explain. There are two prevailing types of cartridge when you're using a firearm. A cartridge is made up, or a full cartridge is made up of a bullet at the front, a casing, gunpowder inside of the casing, and then a primer to ignite the gunpowder. Centerfire ammunition has the primer in the center of the base of the cartridge. Rimfire ammunition has the primer in the outer rim of the cartridge. And that's it. That's the only difference between the two. 
at least on first glance. In practice, what this means is rimfire ammunition is less reliable and is more likely to misfire. It also means that a rimfire cartridge cannot be reloaded. It's not easily recyclable. You see, in order to recycle a center fire cartridge, you get a new percussion cap for the primer. You then fill the cart you put that into the base of the into the base of the uh what's it called? You put that into the base of the casing. You then fill the casing with gunpowder and put the bullet in the front. And you can reload that like yourself with a machine that costs I'm not sure how much a machine for reloading that ammunition costs. But it's definitely something that you, a regular civilian, could purchase, probably. Rimfire ammunition, however, once you fire it, the casing cannot be reloaded. It's just a waste product now. So somehow, all this bill manages to do is make ammunition non-recyclable. That's it. Since it just doesn't apply to firearms only capable of firing rimfire ammunition. So it means that any semi-automatic weapon that's manufactured in the future has to be built so that it can only fire rimfire ammunition. And rimfire ammunition is more dangerous than centerfire ammunition because it's more likely to misfire and you can't recycle it. So, why? This bill doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't, well, I say it doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't accomplish what Biden wants it to accomplish. Biden states that he wants to make our communities safer because, and I'm quoting from his original statement here, when guns are the number one killer of children in America, and when more children die from guns than active duty police and active duty military combined, we have to act. And this bill is how Biden wants to act. And he even says the majority of the American people agree with this common sense action. But this doesn't make a lot of sense. All this does is change how firearms are going to have to be manufactured in the future. That's it. So, this doesn't take guns away from people, which is what he wants to do. It just changes the type of gun. I suppose. And it's not even changing the type of gun in a major way, either. So it's not like taking you can no longer have a really dangerous firearm and replace it with a less dangerous firearm. It's just, you, can, you can't have that dangerous firearm anymore, but you can't have another firearm that is effectively exactly the same, but fires a type of ammunition that functions in the same way, except it's not recyclable. And that's it. Which is not common sense. So, am I confused with all of this, or is this just stupid? I, I don't understand. Also, I'm not even sure if that's true. 
Um, well, what uh, Biden said, when guns kill more, when guns are the number one killer of children. Let's see. In America, what do children die from? Study from 2018 finds car crashes, firearms are the leading cause of death in U.S. children. What is the major cause of death in children? Previous analysis, which examined data from 2016, show that firearm-related injuries were second only to motor vehicle crashes. What is the most common way for a child to die? Car crashes, suffocation, drowning, poisoning, fires, and falls. That's according to the CDC. Okay. CDC, child injury, vital sign. Oh, this is from 2012. It says, one child every hour, one child dies from an injury. About one in five child deaths is due to injury, and every four seconds a child is treated for an injury in an emergency department. Injury, the number one of killer of children in the United States. Granted, this is from 2012. So this might not be correct anymore, but this list from the CDC doesn't even show guns on it at all. Causes of child injury and prevention tips are motor vehicle, suffocation, drowning, poisoning, fire and burns, and falls in that order with a total of 9,000 children deaths in 2012 from those cases. Almost every seventh child who died in 2017 died of lower respiratory infection, according to ourworldanddata.org. Oh, here we are. ncbi.nlm.nih.gov. Patterns of Childhood Death in America. Let's look at this one. Oh, this is from 1999. So, whoops. That's probably not what we're looking for. Let's research leading cause of child death in America 2022. Here we are. Um, the New England Journal of Medicine, published May 19th, 2022. The CDC, Center of Disease Control and Prevention, recently released updated official mortality data that showed 45,222 firearm-related deaths in the United States in 2020, a new peak. Okay. But that's in people, not everyone. Oh, he's got actually a chart here. He's full size. Leading causes of death among children and adolescents in the United States, 1999 through 2020. Okay, according to this chart, deaths per 100,000 children and adolescents in 2020, the most was firearm-related injuries. Shortly behind is motor vehicle crash. Shortly behind that is drug overdose and poisoning. 
below that is malignant neoplasm. What the heck is that? Uh, it's not it's not particularly relevant, so I'll look that one up another time. But my question is: so for those firearm related injuries, do you think that's caused by shootings where children are shooting each other, or do you think that's caused by children accidentally shooting themselves? Because they get into firearms that aren't properly locked up. Which one? Which one? Because it could be either one of those. And I'm trying to find. From 2000. Here. From, I found a sentence here. From 2019 to 2020. The relative increase in the rate of firearm-related deaths of all types, suicide, homicide, unintentional, and undetermined, among children and adolescents was 29.5% increase from 2019 to 2020, more than twice as high as the relative increase in the general population. So, what's causing that? I mean, I'm sure the media would like you to believe that it's because of homicides and mass shootings, but is that correct? I'm trying to find anything else on that. Another thing is with this bill, my immediately thought was, does this violate the Second Amendment? And then I did more research about what the Second Amendment applies to, because all I know about the Second Amendment is its exact wording right? The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. But that's in the Constitution, and the Constitution means at a federal level, the government cannot infringe on your right to bear arms. Individual states, however, can. That's why those laws can technically be legal without actually violating the Second Amendment. Laws that prevent felons from owning firearms, or laws that prevent the mentally ill from owning firearms, which actually exist in all 50 states without it actually being controlled at a federal level. So, I'm fairly certain that H.R. 1808 would violate the Second Amendment, but only because it's being done at a federal level. If individual states decided to pass this into law, that wouldn't violate the Second Amendment from my understanding, but I could also be incorrect on that. I'm not sure which is true or not, because I don't know what, what's true for anything anymore. I can't even trust the whitehouse.gov anymore. After, you know, they straight up tell me we're not in a recession. Fuck off. Yes, we are. Oh, I can actually go and... Okay, so I've gone to the CDC, and I can actually search for Underlying Cause of Death 1999-2020 to Request. Let's do that. Group request by... Go back to the request form. It just switched me. Um... Yep, so between the ages of 1 and 18, in the year 2020... For any weekday, cause of death, all, okay, in just the United States. 
send. Processing request, please wait for results. So this is from the CDC where you can put in a, you can put in a request to actually get the raw statistics. And I can actually look at it from there. The number one is firearm, which is 3,219 out of 73 million. But it doesn't tell me if that firearm was accidental, self-inflicted, or homicide. Number two, just behind it, is motor vehicle traffic. So... Already, children under the age of 18 aren't allowed to own firearms in my state. If you're 18, you can own a handgun, but you can't own a rifle. No, wait, is it the other way around? You can own a rifle, but you can't own a handgun? I know you can own one type of firearm, but not the other if you're 18. And then once you're 21, then you can own any type of firearm. So, how are people under the age of 18 getting a firearm? Either they're doing so illegally, or their parents own the firearm and their parents aren't properly locking them up, which they are required to do by law in every single state. So, uh, why, why HR 1808, which just restricts center fire ammunition but not rim fire ammunition? That doesn't make sense, but... Okay. Why not just make it so that it's there's harsher punishments for not properly securing your firearms? I could understand that. Like while I was growing up, my my dad owned firearms, but I was never able to get to them or anything without his express supervision because they were always locked in a safe and of course I wasn't allowed to know the combination. So, they were locked in a really big safe, too. There's this massive thing in the basement that I always thought looked really cool, but... Yeah, so I was only ever able to use a firearm with his express permission. And we are, we're on a farm, so it makes sense for us to have firearms, because you occasionally need them to get rid of nuisances. Because... Uh, had opossums, foxes, and all kinds of things go after our uh, our uh, farm animals. Even an owl once tried to grab a whole chicken and just take it straight out of the top of the coop once. We then added a roof to the outer part of that coop for them, but... <laughs> anyway. So, I guess Biden is technically accurate that Guns are the number one killer of children, but they're either... But guns are inanimate objects, right? They're not inherently evil. They can do both good and bad. It just takes... It, but it can't do anything until you pick it up and use it. And if you use it and you accidentally shoot yourself, or you intentionally shoot yourself in the event of a suicide, or you use it to commit homicide, that's obviously evil. But if I use it to, say threaten someone to stop them from robbing a bank or something, that's good. So, guns aren't killing our children. Our children are either accidentally shooting themselves, or shooting themselves on purpose, or homicides are what are killing our children. So, 
I'm I'm gonna give you half credit on that line, Biden. And when more children die of guns than active duty police and active duty military combined. Hold on. How many active duty police officers died to gunshots in 2020? Here we go. Law enforcement line of duty deaths in 2020. How many active duty military? How many did I say earlier? It was... Right, so law enforcement, 2022, total line of duty deaths, 416. Now, how about military? Um, right, it's not going to show me military, is it? Because probably classified. Yeah. Oh, well. So there's no actually way for me to find out if that statement is correct. When more children die of guns from a than active... When more children die from guns than active duty police and active duty military combined. Police, I know, were 416 in 2020. Children were 3,200. But if without the military number, I have no idea if that's correct or not. Anyway, back to HR eighteen. It's HR eighteen oh eight itself. Let's let's go to the definitions because I never mentioned. It says that you should be unlawful to own a semi-automatic assault weapon. But how does it define a semi-automatic assault weapon? Section two definitions. The term semi-automatic assault weapon means any of the following, regardless of country of manufacture or caliber of ammunition accepted. Uh-oh, it's got a whole list of all of these things that can constitute a semi-automatic assault weapon. Okay, so your definition says, A semi-automatic rifle that has the capacity to accept a detachable ammunition feeding device and any one of the following. A pistol grip, forward grip, a folding, telescoping, or detachable stock, grenade launcher, barrel shroud, or threaded barrel. Who the hell's getting grenade launchers on their things? Where can I buy one of those? I want one. Just just for fun, okay? What, my parents are on a farm. I can go and blow up that old fox den that isn't used anymore. Oh, the next one is a semi-automatic rifle that has a fixed ammunition feeding device with the capacity to accept more than 15 rounds except for an attached tuplier device designed to accept and capable of operating with 22 caliber rimfire ammunition. Why is this one here? Because rimfire ammunition is already exempted under this law, so why is this included in the definition? Any part, combination of parts, component, device, attachment, or accessory that is designed or functions to accelerate the rate of fire in a semi-automatic firearm, but not convert the semi-automatic firearm into a machine gun. A part, a single part constitutes as a semi-automatic assault weapon, 
get out. <laughs> a single part or combination of parts, component or device. That's stupid. Why why are you constituting a single part as a full semi-automatic assault weapon? That doesn't make sense for your definition. I mean, I can understand if you want to cover it in the term to ban it, because it would prevent someone from buying parts individually and putting a gun together. But that should be counted as something separate, rather than included under your blanket term of semi-automatic assault rifle. Or semi-automatic assault weapon, sorry. Let's continue with your definition. A semi-automatic assault uh, weapon is a semi-automatic pistol that has an ammunition feeding device that is not a fixed ammunition feeding device and has any one of the following. Threaded barrel, second pistol grip, barrel shroud, capacity to accept a tactical ammunition feeding device, semi-automatic version of an automatic firearm, a manufactured weight of 50 ounces or more, a buffer tube, stabilizing brace, or similar component that protrudes horizontally behind the pistol grip. If a pistol is too heavy, it counts as a semi-automatic assault weapon. Why? Okay, you know what this means? If I have a muzzle-loading flintlock pistol that weighs more than 50 ounces, it's counted as a semi-automatic assault weapon. What? Why? Why, why does that count? I'm 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 completely lost for words for that one. Oh, sorry. A semi-automatic pistol. So it wouldn't count. I misinterpreted that. A semi-automatic pistol that has a f ammunition feeding device not fixed and has a manufactured weight of fifty ounces or more. So because a flintlock pistol doesn't have a f ammunition feeding device that isn't fixed, it doesn't count. But Is there, is there another way I could describe how that feels? Like, I suppose... I, I'm not a gun guy, to be clear. I, my full experience of firearms comes from either video games, which aren't entirely accurate, are they, Ubisoft? Or also, the few times that I've been to a gun range... Um, which is not a lot, and all I did was shoot firearms, and that's it. So, my only, like, real first-hand knowledge I have about firearms is shooting an AR-15 that has a, that has a silencer on the front puts all of that gunpowder and smell right in your face. And that, that's it. That, that's all I really know about it. Well, other than, I've also had, like, BB gun training from when I used to do competitive BB gun shooting when I was way like this is like five ten years ago so I don't I don't even remember much of it anymore. Let's continue with their definition here. 
a semi-automatic shotgun that has the capacity to accept a detachable ammunition feeding device or fixed ammunition feeding device that has the capacity to accept more than five rounds. Or a shotgun with a revolving cylinder. Or, and then, oh my gosh, it goes on to list a semi-automatic assault weapon is all of the following rifles, copies, duplicates, variant or variants, or altered facsimiles. With the capacity of any weapon thereof, including all AK types, including the following, and it lists a bunch more. All AR types, including, and it lists a whole bunch more. A bunch of Barretts, a Beretta, Calico, Liberty series. It massively lists off just a massive list of all of these firearms that would be banned under this law. Plus a broad definition for other types of semi-automatic weapons. But then it has those exemptions, remember? So the, the one rimfire ammunition exemption just means that these firearms that are technically included under your semi-automatic assault weapon, if they were just modified to fire a rimfire ammunition instead, that would be, to fire only a rimfire ammunition instead, that would be legal. So, so this says that an, an AR-15, for example, because that is banned under this, all air types including AR-15. Right now an AR-15, what caliber does that accept? AR-15 caliber. It uses a .223 Remington or a 5.56 X45 NATO. So all you would have to... Usually rimfire ammunition is twenty-two caliber or less. I, I know that much from my research over the weekend. But... Rimfire 5.56 X45. Hold on. Oh. Oh my gosh. Okay, I even see this here. .223 rimfire, the high road. I I'm guessing the high road manufactures uh what manufactures ammunition. And it says, "We will soon be launching new cartridges such as the .223 rimfire, no misprint here." According to Calguns.net, crazy thought, .223 rimfire AR, it, will it be legal? According to this law, yes. Basically all this means is this law has to change how we manufacture future firearms and weapons. So, why do it in the first place? It adds so many loopholes. I think this law actually adds more loopholes than it closes. Because all this means is rather than center fire ammunition, I just use rim fire ammunition, and I could make if i'm a if I'm a firearm manufacturer and I want to make a firearm for civilian use, I would just take one of the firearms that would normally be banned by this and change it so that that 
firearm is only capable of firing rimfire ammunition. And then I make new rimfire ammunition designed for that weapon. And it's not banned according to this. So I don't think this bill would actually accomplish anything than just make things more complex for everybody involved. I fully believe that this bill would be a lose-lose situation for everyone and does not make common sense. So, why is Biden saying that most Americans would agree with this? Common sense action. Now, I'm not the majority of Americans here, but I'm a centralist. And looking at reading at this bill just makes me think, why bother? Why, why did you waste our time with this? Because all this is going to do, I've already said all it's going to do, it's just going to change how we have to use firearms in the future. And on top of that, since this bill is a federal level, it violates the Second Amendment. If each individual state wanted to ratify this bill and make it a state law, they could do that without violating the Second Amendment. But the federal level can't. Because the Constitution clearly states to the government, to the federal government, that the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. The federal government can't make any gun laws at all. If individual states want to do that, they absolutely can, and states have done this in the past, which is why it's not legal for felons to own firearms in any of the 50 states, because each state individually has passed state law stating that felons can't own firearms. Because states can violate your states can violate your uh right to bear arms, but the federal government can't. And I think that's all I've got for this week. <laughs> I, I've gone on enough of a solo rant for this episode. So I'm going to end this podcast episode here. But let me know what you think of the new podcast uh, format where I go over and I just review things based off of what I find on whitehouse.gov. And yeah, well, I say let me know. This podcast is available on YouTube as well. I'm as wherever you get your podcasts. I managed to go ahead and get it to distribute to a bunch of types of podcasts. Unfortunately, it's not available for Apple, Pandora, TuneIn, or iHeartRadio yet because they won't accept me. I don't have enough downloads or I'm not popular enough yet. But you can get it from Google. You can get it from Stitcher. You can get it from Deezer. You can get it from RSS. Listen, the Podcast Index, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. And if you want to actually add a comment or give feedback, um, you can come to my Twitch channel, The Storm AI, where I do these recording sessions live every Monday at 7 p.m. Central Time. And uh, you can also leave a comment on the YouTube videos if you'd like, because it's also available on YouTube. Uh, for now, I think I'm just going to end uh, this stream and this recording here. And I'll be back uh, next Monday with another episode. And I'll be back Wednesday with another regular gaming stream. See you all then.